Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz go down to defeat at home against Houston without their stars. No Clint Capella, no James Harden, no Russell Westbrook. But the Jazz looked lethargic, stagnant on offense. Some really soft turnovers. They fouled a lot. Eric Gordon went off for 50, and the Jazz lose. There you go. We'll get to the best of the Jazz postgame show coming up. Uh, Larry the Laker joined us late in yesterday's show. His memories of uh, Kobe, how the city of L.A. is taking it. Uh, here's Larry the Laker on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Larry, good morning. Hey, guys. How you doing, man? Oh, uh, well, you know, we're doing all right. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Kobe. We're going to suspend all the jazz Laker trash talk with you here out of respect. We can pick that up later. I expect we will with those two teams currently sitting 1-2 in the West. But we'll set all that aside for now. Uh, we wanted to talk to you for multiple reasons. One, you've been, uh, you've been following, it's clear from the tweets I see from you, uh, that you have been following the L.A. sports scene for a long time. And I grew up in San Diego, and I went to college in Santa Barbara and did radio and TV there afterwards. And that was all Laker Nation at that point. And it was Kareem, and it was magic. And i got to say, I never thought anyone could capture the town the way they did, especially magic with his persona. Kareem wasn't, you know, wasn't warm and fuzzy. But magic was, and he was out there. But you see the way Laker fans react to Kobe on TV. You see it with the Kobe fans and the Laker fans when they come to Utah. And, you know, time means everything. Magic was there when uh, the, the Rams were still there going to NFC title games and you know, Kirk Gibson's home run in the Dodger World Series in 88. And by the time Kobe comes along, the Rams have moved to St. Louis and the Dodgers are going through the worst stretch that they had in L.A. And Shaq had a great run, but it wasn't that long. Kobe was the guy. You, you've been in L.A. a long time. Does anyone compare with him and the hold he had in the town when he was the only winner they had? You know, first of all, DJ, that's a really nice way of saying I am old because I am. And uh, you're right. I mean, uh, believe it or not, the first game I ever went to, my dad took me. Now I was a little kid. Let's, let's qualify that. But it was uh, Jerry West and Wilt Chamberlain. So that's how far back I go. But, um, you know, the thing about Kobe, it's a very generational thing. Um, he was my guy. Absolutely. Now, true true honesty my generation magic was kind of like our guy he was the god you know and he's never really been supplanted but kobe is as close to that as ever was but that's my generation the kids who are younger um kobe is the man and then probably there was a lot of very very rough things but for me one of the roughest was um Early in the morning, I got a phone call. Um, I've got a son who's a freshman away at college. This is his first year away from home, so he's going to school in Dallas. So uh, I get this call from my son, and right away, that's unusual because they only text you, you know. And usually when he texts me, it's because he's out of money. So for him to call me on the phone, I was like, what's up, bud? And he's like, Dad, tell me it's not true. And I said, well... I had only seen at that point just the TMZ report. And I said, all I can tell you, guys, is that TMZ is, you know, usually right. And I said, we'll wait on this anyway. It wasn't long, and it was true. And uh, the thing he said to me that, you know, you hear it through your kid, and it's really hard. He goes, you know, Dad, this is my sports hero. This is my guy. And when you think about it, for a 19-year-old, he is his sports hero. So, I mean, it, it was it was a brutal, brutal day. So I, I would say, without a doubt, 
without any doubt, the worst day in Southern California sports history and by a lot. Just awful. So you put all those people together who are L.A. sports hero, heroes, whether it be, you already mentioned Magic. I think you could throw Kareem in there, Chick Hearn, whoever it is, if it's Kirk Gibson, or even going way back, Sandy Koufax, and and uh, even L.A. Rams, the fearsome force, and Merlin Olsen, blah, blah, blah. Where's Kobe rank? Well, you know, that's a, that's a toughie. I mean, again, for me, I've always been, you know, I, if you ask me who the greatest Laker is, I'll always say Magic. Um, but they have a very different time, different kind of player. Um, he, he's in the Kobe's in the top three, let's say. And it really depends who you talk to. I, I don't think any football player, because we didn't have a team for so long, is even in the conversation. You know, Dodgers, probably the most iconic is either Kurt Gibson or Fernando. Um, they also, you know, Kurt was not a friendly, warm guy. So the fans love his moment, but not necessarily him. Fernando was beloved, but they didn't win. I mean, they, they did win one World Series, to take that back. I, I don't know. Um, you know, there's an ESPN writer, Ramona Shelburne, and she was on uh, television. She said something I thought was really great because Ramona is, like myself, she's born and raised here. Uh, she grew up in the Valley. So even though she's a national writer, she's an L.A. kid at heart. And her comment was, she said, you know, Kobe is like the the spiritual mayor of Southern California. Like, it's more than L.A., by the way. It's all of SoCal. And he is the one guy who traffic will stop for, who everybody wants to see and everybody wants to talk to. Um, and he was. I mean, uh, just, just so bizarre. Um, the other thing I want to say to you guys while I think of it is I was trying to equate this to other things I've seen. And, of course, the first thing that came to mind, the other terribly sad day in L.A. sports history, was the day Magic announced he was HIV positive. And I'll never forget that day because it happened while everybody was at work and people are at their offices, everybody's crying. It was like somebody literally had died because in those days, that diagnosis, people kind of thought it meant you were going to die. That's how it looked. But the difference was that day, Magic walked off the dais that day after his press conference. He was still there. He was standing right in front of us. So there was always that glimmer of hope. And then medical science advanced, hope came through, and Magic is still here. What happened was so brutally final because he'll never be back. Yeah, he's a poor kid. I mean, geez, what a day. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I thought about the contrast to those two because, boy, if you've been around the Lakers, those two are just really special. You know, Shaq and Kareem emotionally don't have the same hold on the fan base. And I remember thinking for everything we know and everything we think we know, Magic's here and Kobe's gone, and who would have bet on that? Because you're right. At the time of that Magic announcement, it felt like a death sentence. It felt... You know, I, the NBA players and the NBA fraternity, I was working in Sacramento then, and there were Kings players who told the PR person, I absolutely do not want to do interviews. 
you know, we had to call and she had to say, they're just, they're out today. They, they just can't. Like, okay, they can't. Um, and, and then you see the players crying before games. You see Tyson Chandler. You know, here's a guy who's been in the league a long time, and I don't know what his relationship is with Kobe because of his age. I assume he's got one. And, and he's just balling. There's, there's no tough guy. That is gone. Just standing there at the start of the game. So how long is L.A. going to take to bounce back, or does it ever bounce back? This just changes everything. You know, it's that question when I woke up this morning. Um, this is going to be obviously an absolutely brutal week. Um, you know, I have no idea what the memorial is going to be. It's going to be the most massive thing you've ever freaking seen. But um, right now, you know, Popovich said after the game, I thought he nailed it in, you know, two words when he said, yeah, we lost. It was a tough game, but who cares? And that's L.A. right now. Nobody cares. You know, I was going to call you guys today anyway because we were going to talk about the Jazz being number two and the race in the West and what an incredible season it's shaping up to be. But right now, nobody cares. And um, it's going to take a long time. It really is. You know, life moves on, and the games will be exciting, and the Lakers are obviously going to be in contention. Uh, You know, I feel bad for everybody involved because – this was setting up to be a real special and exciting season. And I'm sure it still will be in the end. But, boy, you talk about it right now, and it's so raw. And everybody's just like, yeah, but, you know, every time they win and if they go to the playoffs, people are going to be looking at up for those jerseys. It's just going to be very difficult. But, um, you know, we've seen this before. Um, life will go on. We'll just see how they handle the rest of the week for sure. Do you have any stories that you heard through your associations down there of Kobe being able to do stuff for people, whether it's a broadcaster's son or whoever it might be, that really have never uh, come to light? That, that's, a, that's a good one, PK. That is a very close friend of mine it is a broadcaster, and he has a son, and it's not well uh, really publicized. It's kind of like a family thing, but he has a son uh, who is on the spectrum. Um has really struggled as a young man. And, you know, this particular broadcaster has been with the Lakers since Kobe's early years. So Kobe, every year on this particular young man's birthday, gives him a personal call. He, at the holidays, he always makes sure he gets this young man special gifts whenever they bring him to the game. He has him uh, play the role of ball boy for, you know, and, and Kobe, there's a lot of people who are around the Lakers who, if you're talking to them, he does things like that for people who work for the team. If somebody, an employer, somebody has a relative who maybe passes away suddenly, they'll all tell you the first person you get condolences is always Kobe. Tation, obviously, it changed in the last few years a lot, but you know he was never a fan of the press. A lot of the other thing, uh, PK and, and DJ, I was going to say. You know, people ask why he had the hold he did, but when you think about it, you know, he comes to the Lakers 18 quickly. You know, L.A., the Lakers, and the city basically raised him from a pop. He was he was ours, and he was ours from when he was just right out, right out of the shoot, you know. And there's never been an athlete in my time here, and I think it's very rare, that an entire city goes through their raising of. And some of the moments were great. He had some really bad moments, but he was ours. And I think that's what really, really devastates people 
Um, it's like, you know, my wife used to tease me all the time. Um, you know, I, I have two boys, and uh, back in the day, she used to always refer to Kobe as, yeah, you know, your third son. She used to tease me about it because I was so into everything Kobe was doing. But uh, that's how it was in the, in the town, and uh, it's going to take a while. I, I, I just don't know. Time will tell. Larry, we appreciate a few minutes. Next time you come on, uh, we're going to trash talk you, but we're just uh, we're going to pass on that right now. Hey, can I do one thing while I'm here? And this is totally off the subject, but I told my son yesterday I'd put in a word for him. Um, he's a uh, freshman at SMU, and his uh, fraternity is doing a national fundraiser. The reason I'm bringing that up is they're doing it for the Huntsman Cancer Institute in Salt Lake City. That is their their charity. Um, so I wanted to mention that for all the Salt Lake listeners, obviously. And, um, I can send uh, Jake or you guys a little link. No big deal. Any any donation is great. Um, it would make him feel great if some people chipped in. And it's obviously a fantastic cause. And uh, I'm real proud of the kids. They picked a fantastic charity to be involved with. And I just wanted to mention that while I was here. Well, we all know somebody. Uh, we've all lost somebody because of cancer. There's certainly a long line of people there. So that is excellent. Or maybe work. have some people saved because of the Huntsman cancer. That suit. too, excellent work. <laughs> yes, Mrs. K, right there. You know, Larry, I would suggest two things. One, send Yock the link, and he can get it up on our website. But also, tweet the link out and tweet it at PK and I, and we'll give you retweets, and we'll see if we can get it going viral. How about that? That sounds fantastic, guys. I I will do that as soon as I get out of the car here. Okay. Larry, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And tell your son good choice with the Huntsman Cancer Institute there. All right. There's Larry the Laker with an appeal to donate to the Huntsman Cancer Center. We'll be right back with Pace Mannion. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Time to bring in Pace Mannion, the former Ute, the former jazz man. Jazz broadcaster in the pre-half and post for five years with Thurl Bailey and I. And now, following his son Nico in the Arizona Wildcats all around the Pac-12. And fellow Pison. Fellow Pison. (laughs) Don't leave that out, PJ. Absolutely not. Save the best for last. Hey, I'm half Italian. My mother was a full-blood FBI, full-blooded Italian. (laughs) There you go. So, Pace, we want to have you on uh, to talk a little bit about uh, Kobe Bryant, your paths cross. You played professionally in Italy after you uh, played with the Jazz and a few other NBA teams. And you were there, and I, I have this memory, although I'm a little sketchy on the details, but I think at one point Nico, and I'm trying to do the math, but I'm pretty sure he's in elementary school. I don't know how old he was. But I think he wanted a jersey or shoes or something signed by Kobe, and you told him, and you could have set it up yourself if you really wanted to, but you wanted him to have to stand on his own feet, and you told him, talk basketball in Italian. That'll get his attention. Am I on? Am I? Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh... – Obviously, you and I were doing the show with Thurl, and uh, it was right after the Western Conference Finals. I think the Jazz had just lost the series, and it was game six. And as we finished the show, Nico wanted to hurry down to see if he could beat Kobe. And 
so we went down and uh, I noticed Kobe came out and uh, Nico just I told him if you want to get his attention because there will probably be a few people down there uh, to speak to him in Italian and so he did and you know, Kobe came over and got on a knee and spent about you know seven eight minutes chatting with Nico it was, it was amazing because he was in a white suit you know here he is talking to Nico who's just a young kid you know Nico just had a just recently the Italian Sky Sports which is you know the ESPN version of Europe came out and did a, a special on Nico and filmed him and I'd never heard Nico talk about it but he, he said in the, in the interview he said yeah that 10 minutes has lasted a lifetime Really, so it was obviously something that you know touched him, and and he was. If you've ever heard Nico talk, it's always you know the, the greatest player to ever live is Kobe Bryant. It's always been his idol, and uh, so it's been a, it's been emotional, to say the least. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, in trying to prepare to get as much uh, information as I could, I'm looking at all sorts of stuff, and I'm looking at the Los Angeles Times. And I saw on Sunday night on their website, they had a writer post a story with a byline of Rome and uh, talking about how big he was. Now, you have extensive background in Italy. Could you explain to us just how big Kobe Bryant was in Italy and what he meant to the folks and the basketball fans that are Italian well, he, from Italy? He, uh, you know, when I was playing over there, it was funny because. And I was playing against Joe, his father. So you'd get to the, you know, he was playing in Regimilia and he played in Pistoia. But you'd go to play those teams and Kobe had to be doing the math around 12, 13 years old at the time. Um, And you're watching him, you know, before game shoot. And in Italy, it's back then, I'm sure, I doubt it has changed much, but at halftime, everybody would leave the arena because a lot of those, you know, a lot of Italians smoke, so they'd go out and smoke. At least some of them were courteous to get out. Some of them sat there and smoked in the arena. But um, whenever Kobe was there, nobody left the arena because Kobe would go out <laughs> on the court at halftime. Because in Italy, it's not like in the NBA. There's not a halftime show. There's there's nothing going on. Um, and and Kobe would go out and shoot, and all these people would stay in their seats to watch this 12 year old shoot. And I remember watching him. And obviously at 12, you're not thinking this kid's going to be, you know, who he turned out to be. But you're thinking he's skilled. He was inquisitive. He asked questions. He was. But if you watched him during a game, if you ever had a chance to sit and see him, he wasn't your normal 12-year-old. He was, he was serious about He was watching to learn. He wasn't just watching to be entertained. And he was, you know, that's what you saw in him at a young age. Then you watch him, you know, six years later be, be drafted and, you know, grow through what he went through and and uh and become you know Kobe Bryant that we that we knew. So you have stood on on both sides of cameras and microphones. You've asked questions and you've answered questions. So it gives you kind of a whole perspective to the whole give and take and and how that goes on. Can you imagine being Kobe and on the receiving end of all the cameras, microphones and recorders that he was on the end of? No. No. You know, I can't – times have changed so much with, with the social media side, too. What he had to go through was wherever he was, there was always a camera, whether it was a phone, whether it was a journalist, whether a reporter who just wanted to get a word. He was – he constantly had to be 
aware of his surroundings and what he was saying and uh, how he handled himself. And, and I can't even imagine that. I cannot, you know, I, I mean, I'm such a small fish compared to something like that, that, you know, in Salt Lake, you know, you're known, people know who you are, but you can usually walk around, not be bothered. Even Thurl, as well known as he is there, he can maneuver without being harassed too much. But I can't imagine what it would have been like for somebody like Kobe Bryant, wherever he got off a plane, you know, there were crowds. Uh, it, it has to be, it has to be difficult. It has to be very difficult, you know, for for guys like that. And I can't even imagine it. It, it would be rough. So, do native Italians do they claim Kobe in the way they would claim your son and uh, Gallinari or whoever else uh, Molinari well, Kobe, in golf? Kobe was never he was never Italian. I mean, he was there and he was and they loved him. You know, he did commercials. You know, he's very well known for his Nutella commercials over there. Um, and his Italian is is better than most of the Italians. He speaks perfect Italian. Um, and he, you know, he spoke, I think, about five or six languages, if I remember right. Um, so, but they, they love him as one of their own, even though he wasn't. Obviously, you know, he went back there. He spent time in Italy. And, uh, and, he, and people could get to know him because of the language. You know, he could actually sit and answer and talk to people in, in Italian and in their, in their native tongue. And it was great for them because they got to really get a chance to know him and who he was. And I'm sure they, they claim him as, as one of their own, even though he's by no means Italian. So, but he spent time there. His dad spent time there. They were very well loved as a family. And, you know, Kobe, you know, while he was there, obviously made a dent in, in, uh, in the lives of a lot of people. So he's got a lot of basketball accomplishments on the court. As somebody who played in the NBA, you got a basketball moment or accomplishment that stands out in your mind? Of mine? Or when, his? When you think back on his career, from your perspective oh. as an NBA player, and maybe it's something he did in one regular season game, maybe it's one of the championships, maybe it's something else, I don't know, something that impressed you, that you, you recall. You know, I think the, I think the one thing that about his career that you can't deny is his, his competitive nature. You know, the one thing that has always stood out to me and the one that I, I, I always go back to when I think of Kobe is here's a guy who blew his Achilles, went to the bench for a timeout and limped back out on the court to make two free throws to tie a game. You know, I think they were down 107 to 109. And he comes out and makes two free throws and then limps back off. There's not anybody that comes to mind that I can think of that would have done that except for him. You watch, you watch guys now, and that's a, you know it's an injury that you, nobody ever wants to have, but you have that injury, and guys go straight to the floor and are, are lifted off the court and carried off. And here's Kobe who walked off and walked back on it to shoot his free throws. To me, that was just a it, it just showed me the mentality that he had to be I'm, I'm the ultimate competitor. You know, um, this is what I do. And I think the sad thing is, is you've seen him grow into a, you know, he'd gone on to that second part of his life where I think he was just as happy or happier doing what he was doing with his daughter and traveling and spending time with his family, but getting back into basketball in a world he probably hadn't planned on. But I think she brought him back to the game and he was getting to coach and do all the things he wanted to do and having a ball doing it because that's all you saw him, him doing was with her and practice and games and, you know, he came here to Arizona and had his team practice 
at the there's a home about you know two or three miles from my house that has an indoor hoop basketball court in it and he took his team to practice there obviously for the privacy but you know that's what he was doing he was traveling with his with this you know basically an AAU team coaching and, and spending time with all these girls and teaching them the game of basketball and I thought it was you know to see him do that and, and see how happy he was it's just tough to know that you know that second part of his life he's not going to get to fulfill certainly as obviously pace well said do you have you seen a common component in all your years as a keen observer and a player at the highest levels, have you seen a common component that all the great ones have? When you say that competitive nature, what exactly does that mean? Well, that's a million-dollar question I think a lot of people would like to figure out. In my opinion, and that's you know, just me looking at it, you know, one, I think some guys are just born with a certain DNA, um, that not a lot of people have. Mentally, you have to be to go through a lot of trials and tribulations and, and still have the desire to become great. I mean, we all saw Kobe shoot four or five air balls in Utah. How many guys come back from that on you know on a, on a national or international stage like the NBA Finals how, or, or or Western Conference? How do you come back from that as a player? You know, as a young player. Um, and then I think the other thing is the, the, the attention to detail that people aren't willing to do. Good players are good and not great because of detail work. You know, at some point in your career, and I've, I've said this to many kids, and, you know, as you get better, you know, when you become really good and you're a five-star high school player, the improvements you make now are incremental. There's not going to be that big jump that there was from – you know, when you were 14 to 16 or 16 to 18, when you're 18 years old, you can become better. But now it's just the details and getting better at what you're already good at. And there aren't a lot of people that are willing to put in the time or the effort on the detail work. And if you listen to people talk about Kobe and they talk about him going to the gym and, and working out for hours at a time, but going to the right elbow and spending two hours or three hours at the right elbow working on a, 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 a jab step and into a jump shot and talking about, okay, if I jab in the middle of my defender's legs, he'll do one thing. If I jab to the right, he does another. What do his hands do when I do both of those moves? Where am I going to be able to create my shot better? Those, and, and people don't understand that that was the details he did to become who he was because he knew in the triangle offense, I'm going to get the majority of my shots right here at the elbow. I'm going to get them on the block. And I'm going to get him behind the three-point line when I'm in transition. So those things he worked on, but you, you hear the stories from trainers that were at USA Basketball. Buddy Heald said, I went to work out with Kobe at 6 in the morning. I got there at 530. I didn't want to be late. And Kobe was already sweating. He was already there working out. He said, we worked out for two hours at the elbow on one move. He got a drink of water. We went to the other end. We worked on the other elbow for two more hours. <laughs> And one move. I left. Kobe remained to continue his workout. You don't hear that about good players. You only hear that about great players. And that's the part that I don't think anybody gets or wants to get because it's just too much work. You have to be myopic in, in that one area of, of your life. And that's what's so sad. I think Kobe was so intense in that part that it might have left out some of the family stuff, which is normal, I think, for, for some of the athletes. But now that he got that chance to, to 
to be home all the time, I think you could see see who, who he was becoming. And that's yeah. just uh, you know, it's it's a it's a tough loss in the family. I just can't imagine what right. they're going through. That's where the tragedy lies going forward. Pace, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and sharing the stories. Of course, guys. Have a good day. There's Pace Mannion with his memories of Kobe. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The Utah Jazz fall to the Houston Rockets. And they were missing their stars. No James, Harden, no James Harden, no Russell Westbrook, no Clint Capella. But the Jazz, too many turnovers, too many fouls. Gordon goes for 50. Here's the best of the postgame show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you as the Jazz fall to the Rockets, 126-117. to 117. Tough night for the Utah Jazz. Eric Gordon for the Rockets, 50 points on 14 of 22 shooting, 16 of 20 from the line. The Rockets took a total of 49 free throws last night as they really played their game and the Jazz did not play theirs. Donovan Mitchell did have a nice night with 36 points. Efficient from the field. 14 of 25 shooting. 5 of 6 from the line. He had 4 assists and 3 rebounds to go along with his 36 points but we'll hear him talk a little bit later on about how the Jazz just did not have it defensively and that was a little bit of a theme from the post game. and let's uh, get you some post game sound. Let's start things out with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. It's kind of stagnating and you think maybe the mindset wasn't right and there were some soft turnovers and that kind of got out of control? I think the first quarter, um, you know, we didn't we didn't uh, execute the way that we needed to. Um, thought they were physical. Um, we didn't play through some things. Um, you know, as the game progressed, I, I think we scored enough points to win um, in spite of a, you know, 20-point first quarter. Um, it, it, and when they do switch, you know, it, it's a different type of game, but um, we fouled. Um, you know, team shoots. Some of them were late, but they had. I think they had 40 free throws before we um, started fouling. And you're taking the ball and that that makes it harder. We just we didn't defend, um, and your defense can help get your offense going. Then we were just we weren't as connected as we've been. Um, in you know, as far as everything containing the ball individually, you know, going under. We just had a lot of a lot of mistakes that were were in many cases mental. We just we weren't um, as focused and dialed in um, on all the details in the game. And you know, when you've got guys that you know, Eric Gordon's a, you know one of the best scorers in the league. And you have a game tonight where um, he knows that they need his points. He's even more aggressive. You know, we cut it to six at one point, and he came down, and you know he's open, and he makes it. And so um, that that was one play. There were plenty of them um, where we we had just a lot of errors. We we didn't handle the ball well at certain times, and we didn't make shots. I mean, I don't know that there's a whole lot that um, that we did well tonight. 
Quinton for the majority of the game, they only played a lineup that had a, I think their tallest player was 6'6", mm-hmm. yet you guys only get two offensive boards. Is there anything you can ask for more from your guys in order to kind of get those those rebounds and those second chance opportunities? Well, it, um, you know, we were we were actually pretty good at the rim. I think we were, I don't know, 14 of 17 in the first half. So when we drove the ball, we were able to finish. So there weren't necessarily offensive rebounds in those situations. But um, I thought there were opportunities for us to, you know, throw the ball up. Um, but there were there were opportunities for us. We got you know we got good looks too. We just we weren't as connected as we needed to be offensively. Whether it be um, you know I, I thought as much as anything the ball stuck, and you know when a team is that small and they're quick um, and they're able to defend you in one on one situations when the ball stops, um, it becomes more difficult and you're not able to break them down. And a lot of those other opportunities don't present themselves. Why do you think that there was that lack of intensity tonight? What do you attribute that to? Um, you know, I, I, sometimes you can, you know, I, I thought they created some adversity for us in the game, and I don't think we responded um, to that, you know, by collectively raising our level. Um, it's the best way that I can say it. I don't think it was any one thing. Um, there were a lot of different things, and you know we've been in positions where um, you know those things have brought us together and made us better, and we fought that a little bit tonight. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. A couple of things: not happy with the defense, not happy with the focus, certainly not happy with the fouling, also the ball sticking, which was certainly an issue uh, for the Jazz offensively as well. Let's start things off from the locker room by letting you hear from Mike Conley. Start tonight. Um, yeah, man. Hats off to them. They they came in here and they, you know, they were the one through the first punch, and um, we were playing catch up. And you know, I think we got out of our game a little bit because of the physicality and their switching and different things like that. Really kind of got us out of rhythm, um, which is not the, not our game. So, you know, we tried to find a way to, to find something in the second half, but it was just uh, it was a tough night. Led to so many fouls. <clears throat> Um, you know, where they play and with space and, and causing, you know, switches and things like that, um, you're going to have mismatches. You're going to have people driving the paint and um, guys kind of out of position at some point. And uh, we just had too many, too many times we, you know, failed one-on-one um, with our def- defensive effort and caused guys to have to help. And, um, and, I, and a lot of it, I think, it was turnovers, too. You know, we were turning the ball over and they were getting out, you know, transition and we were having to foul or meet him at the rim or do something like that. So there's a lot of different things. You're usually a low turnover guy, so kind of what happened tonight? Can't call it, man. It was, uh, it, I mean, they, were, they weren't they were forced, you know. Like just, you know, trying to do, you know, you see something, you try to go too quickly or uh, slip or, I mean, just like random things were happening. But um, that's not like me. It's not like Don. It's not like a lot of guys to just have so many unforced uh, turnovers. So. Um, that definitely was a a big factor in the game. You, they had that really small lineup for most of the game, and it didn't really seem like you guys took great advantage of that. How how would you have wanted to play, I guess, and maybe take more advantage of that? You know, find a way to get the ball moving, um, but still break the paint. You know, we want to get in the paint and make plays, but we just don't want to do it in, in, in an ISO fashion and, you know, have guys stagnant. Um, you know, we get to that situation again. We just got to find a way to get more movement, and uh, however that may be, obviously we'll watch the film and, and we'll learn from it. Um, what was the 
What was Gordon doing that gave you guys so much trouble? Uh, I think, you know, he was doing what they were all doing. They were attacking early in transition or early in even when they made shot, uh, we made shots, they would attack um, just with the space, you know, just kind of go one-on-one and, and try to get to the rim and, and see what they could create. And, uh, you know, he had it going. He got going early, and um, it's tough to, you know, kind of shut the water off on a guy like that who, who can't get hot. Because that's Mike Conley. Let's go back to him. There you go, Mike Conley still having a tough time getting things going. Uh, coming off the bench, he had uh, he played 25 minutes, 10 points, four of nine shooting. He had four assists and three rebounds, but had five turnovers. And you heard him talk about the the turnovers there. Really not forced, just kind of unforced errors, as they say in tennis. Uh, let's move on with some post game sound. Let's let you now hear from Donovan Mitchell. Of course, yeah. um, you know at the end of the day, you know. Um, we just got to keep the ball in front of us. You know, we had spurts, but, you know, Eric Gordon kind of got his way, felt comfortable. They felt comfortable to start the game, you know, and I think, you know, you look at the way their bench was reacting, they just felt comfortable. You know, they feel that they could come here and do what they wanted, and they did, you know, and um, we weren't expecting to play perfect, you know, the rest of the year. You know, you, we have games like this. There's going to be games like this, but the biggest thing is how we respond, and we play a great, a good team in San Antonio, and um, after we play Denver. But I think um, we'll look at the film, but I think we should just – but look at this one and say, all right, but like, you know, understand what we had, to, what we did wrong and be ready for this upcoming stretch. Did their switching kind of change things, slow the offense down? Yeah, I think so. You know, obviously we've seen it. I've seen it for the past two years, um, obviously. But when you have Mike and Boyan, um, obviously haven't seen it as much. Joy JC hasn't seen it as much. You know, um, Tony getting a little bit in. We just got to get a little bit of a rhythm. You know, it's 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 a different way to attack. You know, it's different than having the big back or the big up or they're blitzing. You know, they credit to them. They do a good job of it. But um, a lot of it really wasn't even offense. You know, I think a lot of it, we just couldn't get stops. You know, even, you know, it was tough. We turned the ball over or, you know, you know, we miss a wide open three on the fast break and they come down and get an and one. Like, it was just nights like that. You know, we're out here looking for calls that we really aren't going to get, myself included. Um, you just got to be able to push through. And like I said, we've played against it. i played against it for the past two years. You know what to expect, but sometimes, you know, you haven't seen it in a while. You just got to be ready. But we'll, we'll move on from this one and be ready for uh, the road trip. They took 49 free throws. That's a season high for any team in any they game this season. 49. Yeah. What do you attribute that to? Um, we fouled. Um, I, I, wow. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, we were trying to keep guys in front of us, and we, we, we committed silly fouls, you know, little things. And, you know, after, after a while, it's going to accumulate. To, and, and I think Eric Eric had 20, right? Yeah. yeah, so I think, you know, when you foul a guy 20 times, you know, I think he gets into a rhythm, he gets into a rhythm, and, you know, we just got to keep guys off the line. And we haven't done that in a very long time. You know, this is really uncharacteristic of us. But, like I said, you we have games like this. You know, in my – where I'm at now and I think where we are right now is how do we respond from this you know you can sit here and dwell on it and you know but you know we've we can reflect on the, the games we've played well but that's how do you respond from this we haven't had a game like this in a, in a very long time you know and it's a matter of how do we respond and um, that's what I think we're already looking forward to they were so happened why do you think he didn't have that um, they wanted it. You know, they like I said, the bench was animated from the beginning. Um, and when you have a team that's animated and, you know, they're playing free, obviously without James and Russ, you, you have guys that, you know, understand just go out there and just play, you know, and they're playing free. And I think that's that's um, that's one of the scariest 
teams. You know, when you play free, when you don't, when you really don't know where the points are going to come from, you don't know who's going to, you know, go. You know, obviously when, when James and Russ are there, you kind of have an idea of where it's come. You can game plan a little bit, but when, you know, they don't, it's different. I'm not saying that that's different. Uh, that's that's the reason. But you know, it's they they did they did what they were supposed to do. They came in here, they, they were attacking aggressive early, and we just didn't really uh, stop them. You guys did the tribute to Kobe to start the game. Was it was that an emotional experience? Um, yeah, you know, I just like I said, I, I, like I said, but this morning, you know, he meant he meant a, a grave deal to a lot of us, whether he knew it or, or not. I think um, being able to just do that and pay our respects, you know, I think it was a no-brainer for us in Houston. And you know, like I said, it was a tough, tough day. Um, it's going to be continue to be a tough, tough day, tough week, and you know, like I said, I, I pray for his family, all the families involved, and um, you know, he's he's a he's a legend, and he's he's a legend, and we're going to miss him. But you know, those moments right there, you know, when being able to do something, you know, and be able to give contribute in some type of way, I think is huge, and I think we all can do it. You know, it doesn't have to be just holding the ball for eight seconds. It can be whether it's a shoe or a shirt, you know. Whatever it may be, you know, I think we all can do our part because he was a legend, not just on the court, but just as a human being. They had played that small lineup most of the night. How can you guys take bigger advantage of your size? Um, I think just getting downhill, I think that was that was the biggest thing. We were able to get downhill. Um, at the end of the day, we, 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 in the first half, we were down, what, 12, 12 13? Yeah. Um, 13. We, just, we were at 3 of 19, 3 of 21 from the 3. You know, I think a lot of we got good looks. You know, we attacked when we needed to. We got good looks. We just missed them. You know, and when you miss shots long, you start to get back in transition. You know, it kind of falls all into that. But we got to, when we shots aren't falling, we got to be ready to, to step, pick our defense up a little bit. And like I said, we haven't had a game like that where we had to turn our defense up to an even higher level because our offense is struggling. So um, it's a good reminder. You know, it's a good reminder. And I think, like I said, it's a matter of how we respond. But, you know, I think we got into the paint. We attacked the way we were supposed to. I think just, you know, when we, when we made, made those passes, sometimes shots didn't fall. We made little mental errors on defense. Thank you. Guys, that's Donovan Mitchell. Let's go back to you. Donovan Mitchell, who certainly had a nice night offensively with 36 points and four of 20, 14 of 25 shooting, uh, but did comment how he didn't think that the defensive bite uh, was there. Let's now let you hear from Rudy Gobert. You talk about us guarding? Yeah. Guarding five out, maybe PJ. We just can't, we just can't stay in front of, us, of a man, you know, and uh, it's something that a little different than usually guard because usually I'm able to be there and have you know guys back and but now they have you know everyone has to do it even more individually and you know we gotta get better at it. That has almost beat us doing that and you're starting to get us tonight. On the flip side it seemed like offensively you guys had trouble with their switches. Um what went wrong there and what can you guys I think they just uh dictate they just dictated what we're gonna do, and we took the shots that they kind of wanted us to take. You know, we we didn't punch where it hurts, and I think you know we gotta work on it and find ways to be able to get the ball close to the basket when the tallest guy is on the court is six six. You know, and we got athletic guys and guys that can attack the rim and and guys that can finish over the rim. You know, I think it's really um, you know it's on us to. You know, try to find ways to get the ball to the basket. Because when we do so, I don't think they can really do much. You know, when you play small, they, you just try to mask something. And, you know, they, they got the best of us tonight. But I think, uh, you know, we're going to find ways to 
we're gonna probably gonna see them again. I mean, we will see them again, and they're probably gonna do the same thing again. So it's gonna be a good opportunity for us to to give them a different look and and be able to to punish them when they press more. Only two offensive rebounds for you guys tonight. What what was the cause of that? I mean, I think they you know they really put an emphasis on boxing us out, boxing me out, especially out. Most of the times I had one, I had two guys, you know, boxing me out at the same time. And uh, when we take the shots, you know, when we take the contested threes, or when we take the threes, that you know we don't we don't get into the paint and we don't we don't make them do something. It's easier for them to you know to take away our offensive rebounds. But when we create an advantage and we attack the basket and put pressure on the rim. Usually, we, it's hard for them to keep, especially myself and Tony and, and our bigs of the of the defensive glass, of the offensive glass. You guys make only three of your first 21 tries from three-point range. Do you feel like you were getting the looks you wanted, or were you settling? I feel like in the first half, the, the ball was was moving pretty well. You know, uh, I think we we had a lot we had a lot of open threes, but at the same time, I think we can. Uh, like I said, we, the threes are great, but we can punish this guy at the rim. And you know, I don't feel like we we did that enough. And we took the shots that they wanted us to take. Unfortunately, we could have made them, and it would be very, very well. And they probably would have won the game. But you know, if you wanna, if a team wants to play small, we gotta punish them, and we gotta find ways to do so. And we gotta, I mean, we still scored 100 and I don't know 16 points. Beside all that, but I really feel like uh, they just dominated us, you know, uh, mentally, physically, and uh, they were communicating better than we were. You know, they were just tougher than us tonight. You know, and they came in to kick our ass, and they did. You know, it's it's uh, it's great sometimes to get your ass kicked like we did tonight, and not get too comfortable. You know, realize that we need to keep our mindset. Uh, Stay hungry, like Coach said, and, you know, get ready for the next one. That was Rudy Gobert, 12 points. He had 14 boards, two block shots, but Houston very effective with their switching defense, limiting what uh, Rudy Gobert was able to do. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, top of the 9 o'clock hour, you'll be able to hear from my co-host from last night, Ben Anderson of KSL Sports, will be on with DJ and PK. But the Jazz did fall last night to the Rockets, 126-117. to More coming up straight ahead here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There's the best of the postgame show. When we come back, what is trending? Stay with us.